KYW Original Podcasts. So we had this interview with Haverford College men's track and field and cross-country coach Tom Donnelly in the can for quite some time. We recorded it, I guess it was right around the beginning of March when everything started to go sideways with regards to the pandemic. So we held on to it at first because, uh, frankly, we thought, well, after a couple weeks, we might get back to some semblance of normal. Obviously, that is not the case. We didn't want this sitting in the vault too long, and Tom Donnelly has had too great a career, 45 years at the helm of the Fords, to not get this interview out there. So we just want you to listen to it in the context that it was recorded just prior to the pandemic kind of overtaking society and listen to it with that context. But it's a really great interview with a great coach. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It was great leadership among that senior class that year. And I'm a real believer that they're the people that have to do it. Like, we have all these seminars and books and shows about leadership, 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 but it really has to come from the kids. You know, they have to, to sort of be the movement that, that does it. And our guest this week, Haverford College track and cross-country coach Tom Donnelly in the midst of his 45th season with the Fords. And, Coach, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. So as we are talking here in mid-March, what's the focus for you right now? Right now, our immediate focus is we have two kids going into the Division Three Indoor National Championships uh, this coming weekend. And um, they're both in the mile. Um, they're both seated right in a position where they would have to run their best race to get into the finals when they go out there. But I think both of them can. And it's, it's real exciting because both of them, it's their first time going to nationals in track. One, one of the kids ran nationals in cross-country last year. But um, and I think he'll do well. Yeah. So when does running first become a part of your life? Because you, we mentioned you've coached for 45 years at Haverford. You coached other places before that. You were a high-caliber runner yourself at Villanova and in high school. When did it start? It started running really when I, I I'm guessing like when I was in seventh grade. Um, I was on like a, a little like baseball team, and where we practiced was at Hunting Park, you know, like right off of um, Broad and Hunting Park. And um, they had this 220-yard um, track, like an eighth of a mile, and we literally, that was like our infield, you know, so we would practice there a couple nights a week, and the team was terrible. It was like the worst team I ever played on. And, um, yeah, I really got bored. I usually would play second base, so none of these kids could even hit the ball. So I just got bored and I saw this track that was inside it. So I just start jogging around it and I would jog for almost the entire practice sometimes. I don't know how many miles, but you know, maybe five miles or something, but for a guy that had never run before, it was a lot. And then, you know, it kind of gave me a confidence that it was something I could do. But the reason I went out for track in high school was this kid in my neighborhood you know, like everybody wants to get like a prize or something like that. And he said, you know, like if you come in the top 10 in a cross country race, then um, they, they um, give you a trophy. So um, I figured, wow, that's great. You know, so when I got to high school, the first sport that had tryouts was cross country. Like, cause I was going to go out for anything. Cause my goal for going out for a sport in high school was basically to, um, to try and win a scholarship to college, you know, because I figured that was the only way I could, could afford to go to college. 
but cross country was the one that had the first tryouts. So I went out, you know, ran two miles the first day and then about two miles again the second day. And then the third day we had our first meet. So, you know, me or none of the freshmen were in any kind of shape to race a, a, a meet, which was like 2.3 miles, but it's a little bit different than mm. jogging 2.3 miles. So, um, so I ran the thing and actually ended up ninth out of maybe 150 kids in the race. So it was, it was horrible. It was like the, the I, honestly, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Right. And, um, it was like a 92 degree day in mid September, you know, back in, you know, deep into the last century sometime, 1961. So, um, so anyway, afterwards, I remember I'm sprawled over this car. They, we, had, I had gotten a ride down with one of the guys in the team and, um, yeah, all I could think was, wow, it was ninth, so I'm going to get a trophy. And the coach comes over, I'll get in the car, we're going back, like, no trophies. Like, the tro- <laughs> trophies were for the end of the year when you went to the big invitation right. meets and stuff like that. So, um, but, yeah, after thinking about it over the weekend, I figure, wow, you know, if I could come in ninth against all these, you know, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, then maybe I could do something, maybe get a scholarship. And, you know, by about a month into the season, I won my first race and then, um, you know, start doing well from there. And and got a scholarship to college at one point. Yeah. Did you? Is there a point when you start to enjoy the running and how it makes you feel and and what it what it brings to the table in in amongst itself? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, like the physical part of the enjoyment. That, you know, is probably the last thing to come. But all the other aspects of being on a team and interacting with with your friends and just going outside on a beautiful day, all, all that stuff was pretty evident right, right from the start, you know, probably after that first race, you know, because I was thinking, wow, do I want to put myself through this again? But then you start thinking of all the positives and all the other kids on the team, like the older kids saying, wow, you know, like that's great, you know, what you did and just getting that encouragement as like a guy who's a freshman in high school, who's only been in school for a couple of weeks, you know, that was really positive. And you don't want to give that up. And then after a while, after you get in shape, then the actual physical part of running is fun. You know, the races are still hard, but even that becomes fun once you start having a little more success. But success can be measured. You could be like towards the end of the pack and have success by just simply running faster than, than you've run previously. You know, and that's the thing I really try to get across to the kids in our team. Like we have a lot of slow kids in our team, but they're, they're not bad runners, you know, they're just slower than, than the other guys. And, um, you know, they have just as much success by improving their times as guys that are national champions or all Americans and stuff like that. You mentioned fun, break down the word fun in running for me. What, what is the, the quintessential meaning of that? I think, you know, for me, like just going out, like on a, just a day like today, you know, like I can't wait to get back. I like to go in the woods and, and run there partly because I, I, I kind of like running in a real quiet environment without running into too many people. Um, and just the fun there is, you know, you can just let your mind go, you know, it's a real freedom in, in, in every sense, you know, you know, not just a physical thing, but just a mental thing, emotional thing. And, uh, and it's fun doing it with, with friends too, but, but for the most part, you know, now I, I, I kind of like going, you know, going by myself. But I think kids at any age or any level or wherever you run, it can still be fun. Like, for example, I grew up like right up Broad Street, like a half a block up Broad Street in North Philadelphia. And, 
you know, even then, like back in the 1960s when I started running, it wasn't the most aesthetically beautiful environment, but it was really cool just to be able to go out and put one foot in front of the other and just sort of check things out and check out different parts of the neighborhood that you would never see or, you know, veer off into other neighborhoods, you know, throughout Philadelphia, you know, as you get in better shape and you start doing longer runs. That's always fun. But for me, it's just getting out there and just breathing in fresh air, no matter what the weather's like, you know, whether training or cold or, or whatever. Do you remember, and you went to LaSalle College High School, correct? Right. Do you remember, and you talk about that first race, how tough it was. Do you remember the first time when you finished a race and you were like, oh, wow, like, I feel great. It's, it didn't kick my butt this time. Like, because I would imagine that's a big deal the first time that it, you were able, I mean, not that I don't want to put it, it's easy, but all of a yeah. sudden it's not the challenge it was that first race. Um, probably somewhere towards the end of my freshman year in cross country where, you know, I remember running like a really good race where it was kind of a breakthrough where I beat about three guys who had beat me all year. And, and they were three pretty good guys. And the only guy that was ahead of me was a kid that was the best kid in Philadelphia, actually the best kid in the East who won the Eastern championship. So I finished behind him and I really didn't feel that bad physically just because I was finally getting into pretty good shape, you know? So I think beating a lot of people makes you feel better anyway. But I think also I had gotten past the point of um, just not being in shape. Like to go out and run as hard as you can without being in, in, in good physical shape it can be really tough. Right. You know? so. so Villanova for, for college right. was that. And you talked earlier how you, you'd, a sport would be a scholarship, which would get you to college. Were there other places or once kind of Villanova – got involved that's where you wanted to go that was pretty much it you know like by after my junior year in high school when Villanova was interested in me and and offered a scholarship that was pretty much it because I remember our old admissions director Bill Ambler Haverford College saying that every kid in the country wants to go as far away from home as possible when they first start looking at schools but he said when it comes down to it that most kids will choose a place fairly close to home and I don't know if that's still true now in 2020, but, um, but I think back when, when I was looking at schools, I think that was it. Like most kids, most kids on our team were kids from the North, not just the Northeast, but you know, like Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, you know, somewhere around there in Ireland, you know, that was just outside of New York, right across the border there. But, um, but mainly it was uh, fairly local kids. And, and I think that was an attraction for me too. But also the attraction was it was just a really good team, even though I honestly didn't know that much about the team, except it was supposed to be a good team. But I literally never set foot on Villanova's campus before I went there, which is crazy because right. I, I lived 14 miles from Villanova because I used to run home from my dorm to my house in North Philadelphia for a long run on Sundays You know, once I ended up going there. But um, but. I never walked on the campus before going there. So I was kind of taking a chance, but it's, for me, it, it turned out to be great. You know, it's just very appropriate academically and, and running wise. It, it was just like a dream, you know, because kids on the team were great kids. Yeah. You know? How was it? And a lot of times I'll talk to, to, to young athletes or people reflecting on, and you talk about the, the big step going high school to college, but I would guess that cross country track, that's probably the one sport where, you don't really have to worry about quote unquote speed of the game or anything. You're, you're doing what you're doing. You're just doing it maybe in a bigger venue in a different venue, but how was the transition to, to college running for you? 
See, the transition was really good for me and for a lot of kids back then because the NCAA had this rule where freshmen couldn't compete okay, on varsity. Right. And I was like right at the end of that period because by the time I was a senior, all of a sudden they started allowing freshmen in a lot of sports like cross country and track. And then the next year, I think they started with football and basketball. So um, because of that transition, I thought that was the greatest thing because it enabled you to kind of get your feet wet at a different level of competition and also a higher level of effort academically, you know, without having the pressure of having to, to run varsity. So, um, so, so in other words, we would just run against other freshman teams or even high school teams right. in cross country. Track was a, a mixed bag, like indoor track, we would go to open meets. So if you were really good, you could still compete at against like varsity level type, type guys. But then outdoor track, I, we had two races when I was a freshman. That was it. Like two relays, like the Queens Iona relays and the Quantico relays and the Penn relays, all they had was a mile relay, you know, for, for freshmen. So that transition was really, really good. It just gave you a, a, a year to build up your strength and stamina, confidence and everything like that. And then you moved into the varsity thing, you know, as sophomores. Now you had a ton of success at Villanova. What, and you won cross country titles and a track title during your three yeah, years of varsity? Three years of varsity. We won the national championship three times. And, um, so that was that was really cool, um, and I, I actually think when I was a freshman, if freshmen were eligible, I think we would have won it that year too. Because, as an example, in our freshman cross country team, and five guys score in, in a cross country race, um, our fifth freshman went on to become a two time Olympian and a world record holder in the, the indoor mile. A guy called Dick Berkeley, um, and he was like just the fifth guy. And obviously, he improved from that point, right. but um. But we just had some really talented guys, you know. We had another Olympian from Ireland on that team too, and um, you know, if, and and I was a good runner too. I was a good, you know, cross country guy, because you know, I could beat those guys in in cross country. Yeah. Did you ever give any thought or or for Olympics, or did you push for it? Not yeah. Well, my junior year in college was an Olympic year, and actually, um, realistically, I really didn't have a chance. But everybody thinks. You have a chance right. and you want to go for it. So I actually did compete in a preliminary Olympic trials in 1968. They had two trials. They had one in Los Angeles, which I think basically ended up being just a fundraiser for the Olympic Committee. Uh, and that was at the end of June. And ostensibly, they would select the top you know, six to 12 finishers from there would go to high altitude training because the Olympics were in Mexico city, which right. is 7,200 feet. So they would go there to South Lake Tahoe train all summer and then compete in the second trials, which was in September. And the way it turned out was the, there was a field of about 18 people in the first trials in Los Angeles. And I think I was like 12th or 13th in there, but I was also like totally worn down to the point where, you know, I went and got this checkup after, after that. And the doctor said, like, you can't do anything for a month. Like you're just physically exhausted and stuff like that. But I think a lot of it was just emotional exhaustion, you know, by putting all this pressure on myself that, you know, I, I should make the Olympic team when realistically, you know, I was probably exactly where I finished in the first trials, which is like 12th or 13th. So, um, and then the next year I jumped up a little bit, but too late for the Olympics, you know, um, and then after that, like in high school, or when I was teaching in high school, uh, I had aspirations of maybe qualifying in something like the marathon. But um, but 
just with the combination of, of you know, working full time, life gets and, in and the coaching way. full time. Yeah, I, I just you know wasn't prepared for that to to um, to really train and compete at that level. Was that? Were you okay with that? I mean, it's, yeah, it's at one the time, thing that yeah. life's there, but is did, did it nauseate? Or were you like, oh, no, this is maybe, I'm good? Maybe a little bit because that's part of the reason I think that I went back to graduate school in 1974 because I figured, okay, go in 74. There's another Olympics two years from now. See how the training goes. But the thing I realized when I went back to graduate school was I really missed coaching. You know, even though I coached, I went to graduate school back at Villanova, ended up coaching the cross country team that year. But, um, but I didn't do any coaching in track and, um, I really, really missed it. So after that year, I decided to get back and that's when I realized, you know, this is what I really want to do more than anything. When did you first realize you wanted to coach? Um, probably, probably honestly, the, the day I, I walked into a preseason training camp at the first school that I coached at, which was Archbishop Wood up in, in Warminster. And that was like at the end of August, I think it was the week before uh, Labor Day in 1969. And, um, you know, I had never coached before or anything like that. And when I got there, we had about maybe eight or nine kids went to the preseason camp and only a couple of the kids that ended up being our best kids. So they were just like kids that could, I think could afford to go to whatever they had to pay for the camp. But just like, you know, when we got there, all these guys are like looking at me, like they're expecting me to say something. I figured, you know, I, I wasn't really prepared for this. I figured you just go up and go out for a run, you know, talk to the guys, but like these guys really wanted to do it. And I still remember we went out for this, just like a, what I consider a pretty easy run, even though it was tough for some of them. We just jogged two miles out in this road up in the Poconos and then two miles back. And on the way back, I realized one of the kids was missing and it turned out to be a kid who was ended up being our best kid that year. So I went back and he was on the side of the road. He was just crying. And the reason he was like, he realized, wow, I'm a senior. I'm the captain of the team. And I've gone all summer. And I haven't done anything. You know, he hadn't done any training. And, you know, if two miles, he was exhausted. So I said, come on, you know, let's start from here. You know, like start from this point. Um, so it was a really cool experience for me. Cause I remember like one, um, one night up there, and I like I'm one of these guys. I remember like Woody Allen in one one of his movies saying um, that that he was like scared of crickets or something like that. Like just that noise that mm-hmm. that you don't know, hear when you're in the city. Yeah, and I was sort of like that too. So being in the Poconos, all these sounds at night spook, really spooked me a lot. But I took these guys out. Yeah, I had a flashlight. I said, "Come on, we're going to take a little walk down this path in the woods." So we walked down there, and I turned out turned off the flashlight. I don't know where this popped in my head. It's not like something I read or anything like that. But so I turned it off for about five seconds and I clicked it on. And these guys are like, <laughs> there's like the nine guys up there, all like one, you know, they're all hugging each other. And I said, that's exactly what you got to do. If you're a team, you know, you have to depend on each other. You got to stick to each other, literally stick to each other. And if you do that, then you can do something, you know? And if you're all going your own way, just concerned about yourself, if your teammates can't depend on you on weekends, whether you're running, when they're out running, then you're not going to have a team. So let's start from here. And I think it really carried on because when those guys went back and we started with the rest of the team, which is like about 40 or 45 kids, you could tell that the message had spread like, hey, you know, like this guy's serious and he really wants to do something. And yeah, we ended up winning the league championship and won the city championship that year, which is pretty cool. 
So we talked about Wood, LaSalle College. You're back at Villanova. When does Haverford come into play? Okay, when I was at Villanova, like you know, like I said, you know, I coached cross country, but I wasn't involved in, in track because Jumbo Elliott, who was the head coach, great coach, um, track was really his main thing. Cross country was just a means of getting in shape for track, and he wasn't going to give give back any national championships that we won, but um, that wasn't his main focus. It was really you know track and field. So I wasn't involved in in, in the coaching and track, and I really realize how much I missed it. So at the end of that one full-time year of grad school, I decided to start looking for a job and you know, applied for a couple of different jobs, you know, teaching jobs. And with the idea that hopefully I could coach also, but then I just happened to run into a Haverford alum who I, I didn't know the guy, but he knew me because he was like a track fan and he had run in Haverford and he came up to me and introduced himself. His name is uh, Chuck Durani. He's a lawyer in, um, I think he's still in Wilmington, but he might be a lawyer right here in Philadelphia. And anyway, he, he said that the coach from Haverford College had just retired and Haverford was looking for a new coach. And, you know, so I figured, yeah, maybe I'll try that. So I went and interviewed for it and got the job, but it was just a part-time job. And, 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 and it's, it's funny because the AD, uh, was a really great guy, Dana Swan, said, um, you know, as part of the job, I went in to restart the indoor program because it had sort of just faded away and they really didn't compete indoors anymore. But I didn't get paid for it. <laughs> you know, so I was paid for cross country and for outdoor track, uh, like totally 2200 you know, for the year. Uh, but I got free meals in the dining hall, so, so that was good. So it was like that for that year. The second year, they had a mandatory phys ed requirement, like a recreational phys ed thing at Haverford. So he was able to give me like a couple of those phys ed courses to kind of boost my salary, but it still wasn't that much. And then after that year, they created like a full-time job. So, so that was good from, from there. So how long are you at Haverford when you start to think that this is a place that I don't, you know, say I'm going to be here 45 years, but you start to think this is a place that I'm going to be for a while. I think probably sometime in the 1980s, like after five or six years. Um, probably this year, probably 1981. So I started in 75 at Haverford. And in 81, the coach, the longtime coach of Villanova, who probably I think coached the same amount of time, 45 years, Jumbo Elliott, he, he, he died um, in March of 1981. So obviously they were looking for a coach. And then in that process, like I sent a letter to the athletic director and I got a letter back, you know, thanks for your application. Well, I didn't apply. I just <laughs> inquired about the process. So right. I figured I, I don't know how serious they were about it, but then it just got me thinking, okay, you know, what is Villanova compared to Haverford? And, you know, to me, they were, it was an equal thing. It wasn't like a better thing because, you know, they have faster kids and it was division one or I went there or anything like that. I started thinking about the kids at Haverford, like just what great kids they were and just the effort they put in was, to me, was equal, at least equal to the effort of my teammates at, at Villanova. They just weren't blessed with the same talent level. So I figured <laughs> it, it's, not like, it's, it's not an upgrade to go there. Yeah, maybe they pay you more or mm -hmm. something like that. But, um, but I, I just really like the kids at Haverford, you know, just – their, their 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 style, their ethics, you know, they're really, really, you know, kids that are serious about 
the, you know, what's going on in the world. And not that the Villanova kids weren't, you know, like, mm-hmm. I loved it at Villanova, but, um, but I, I just really connected with them. You know, to me, it was like all the stuff that they preach in the Catholic schools. To me, it seemed like Haverford actually delivered on that, you know, not that the Catholic schools didn't, but um, the, the, these kids were really, really great kids. I was, Still are. Yeah. When I was researching you, I saw an interesting line that uh, was attributed to you, that you're not a great believer in natural talent. What, does, yeah. what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is I think at least as a distance runner, you can become pretty good with a lower level of natural talent than say some guy you're lined up next to in a race because just by putting in the effort, putting in the miles, putting in, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles a day, day after day, month after month, you're going to get to a level of fitness where you can just beat guys who might have a higher natural talent level than you. And, um, so that's why I'm not particularly impressed. Plus at Villanova, I was with guys on the team that had great natural talent based on, you know, certain events are based on what they did in high school, but they didn't have the discipline. They didn't have the desire. They didn't have the fight. You know, most of our kids did, you know, fell on his team, which is why we were so good. But, um, but there were some kids who came there who just honestly couldn't handle the fact that they weren't the best kid on the team, you know, but they were up against kids who were the best kid from their country, you know, from Ireland or England or, uh, you know, Canada were the best kid in the United States mm-hmm. and they just couldn't handle that. So there's you, the talent level is just part of it to be a, a good athlete. I think you know you see the same thing in, in other sports mm-hmm. too, where people just simply outwork the, the people that they're next to. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. So going along with the discussion about natural talent, at this point in your career, take me through how you recruit a kid to come run at Haverford. What are, what are you looking for? What are the things that, you know, the, the things you need to have in a student athlete you bring into the program? Honestly, it, it doesn't have to do with talent. Like if, if a kid has talent, that's great. But the three things I look for are a nice kid, who really likes the sport and wants to be part of a close team. And obviously they have to have the academics and stuff like that. And, and yeah, if, if the nice kid who, who wants to be on a, a real, real tight team um, has talent, that's great. But um, we've just had so many kids with very, very mediocre or even less than that high school credentials who developed into all, all Americans. You know, like for example, yeah, Kid was a two-time national champion who ran 4:47 for the mile in high school, and that was his main event. It wasn't like, well, he ran 4:47, right. but he was great in the in cross country or something. He wasn't, you know, he was the same level in cross country. So, you know, that's I'm open to having anyone on the team. Also, for the reason that for a good team, the dynamic real includes so much more than the kids that are scoring the points for you includes all the other kids 
with their attitude, their work ethic, and stuff like that, you know, they generate an enthusiasm which com- you know pushes up from the bottom and and really inspires the better kids on the team. You know, the faster kids on the team. I shouldn't say better, you know, because they're all better. Um, but as far as recruiting, like I'm not a great recruiter. Like I'll, anyone that contacts me, I'll, I'll get back to them and stuff like that. But most of my recruiting, I, I was probably described as reactive. You know, where when kids contact me, which a lot of kids do, then you get back to them. But as far as like reaching out to kids, like, you know, like the, the pool of kids that can actually get in to have it for, or want to come there and, and get in is pretty, pretty small. And coaching all three seasons, it, it's almost impossible. You can't do the things that coaches in most sports can do, which is go to other high school kids games and things right. like that. Cause they're coaching one season, but we're in season from, before school starts till after school's over in the spring. So, um, you know, your time's really limited that way. Are there, because I know, like, for instance, you know, for basketball, there's AAU tournament. There's yeah. all these giant places where you can go and watch a bunch of kids. You know, uh, with football, there's film that, you know, in addition to all-star games and stuff like that. Is there anything for the, the high school track world? Are there places that you you hit even as a reactive kind of recruiter that you go to to get get a look at kids sometimes you know like but it's got to be usually pretty local like you know the philadelphia catholic league championships or you know something like that um but again most of those meets are the same time that we're in season like there's for example this coming week when we're at nationals there's an indoor high school national meet up in new york and then um there is a one out an outdoor track, which is after our season's over, and I've gone to that a few times. You know, down in North Carolina, uh, the cross country. There's two cross country national meets now, both on the West Coast, and you know, I'm trying to think, they're after just after our season, but you know, I haven't gone to, gone to them. Um, but you know, the thing in track, which is different, track and field, which is different than um, other sports, is you can just tell by a kid's times how good they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas a kid might score 32 a game, but he's playing against the little sisters of the poor every right. week. And, and it really doesn't have that much meaning, you know? So, it, so you don't really have to actually go. And then sometimes people come nuts. We have some meets in our field house at Haverford. So you pop in there and you take a look at a kid and stuff like that. But even there, you're not allowed to speak to the kids at the site of a meet. So, you know, I think a lot of it is, just a waste of time, which as a three-season coach, you really don't have that time right. to, to waste. So as a head coach, cross-country, outdoor track, indoor track, how many kids that you're bringing in have a piece of all three pies? Is that pretty standard, or do you are, are you able to specialize this kid does indoor, outdoor? You know, How does it work? Well, the distance runners you know, run cross-country, and all of them, like we, we never have anyone, I shouldn't say never in the past we have, but say in cross country, we have 34 guys this year. All 34 of them ran indoor track this, this past season and all 34 will run outdoor track. So they all do it because they like it, you know, and then, um, and they do great academically. And then the, the track and fuel kids who are not distance runners, they'll do indoors and they'll also do outdoor track. So. If my numbers are correct, 76 conference championships across all three, 172 All-Americans. I think that's since 1980. What do those 
accolades those records mean to you? They mean a lot because when I started at Haverford, we, we, our record was pretty bad. Like we had finished last for a number of years in the conference. And, um, you know, as far as like back then, we had mainly dual meets or tri meets, so like us against one other school mm-hmm. or two other schools. And we had a, a combined record over a seven year period of 0 and 70. Wow. So, so my first year there, it shows what a great coach I am. At the end of that year in the conference championship, there was 22 teams in the Middle Atlantic Conference that had, had track teams, and we were 22 and with zero points in the conference championship. So that was after one year of coaching there. So, you know, we didn't have, like, a, a great foundation to, to start with. In cross country, because it only requires five guys. Like track, you have 18 mm-hmm. events and, you know, a lot, a lot of scoring places, even though we didn't get any. Um, but it's a little bit easier in cross country with with just five places. So there we beat more than half the teams in the conference, which which was good. Uh, but from that point, like that was seventy five in cross country, seventy six in track. By seventy nine in cross country, we we won the conference championship. In eighty, we won the the indoor track championship. So it does mean a lot, you know, because I know my perspective where, from, where, right? where we came from. It was not easy, but again, it's the you know, I think at any high school, any college, the kids are there for the most part. You know, probably less in college. You know, but if you have like a fairly large high school, if you can just get kids out, then um, you know you can have a pretty good program. When was the first time? And you mentioned seventy nine, eighty. You, you you really start to get a rolling. But was there a point leading up to that when you started to think, all right, we're we're going to be pretty good. We're going to we started to get this thing really cooking. Is there a moment that's yeah, the out year of bef- Yeah, the year before that, because the year before that in 78 in cross country was the first recruiting class of kids because that when I was full-time, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so I had just more time to write letters to them, respond to the kids that were looking at the school and, and that kind of stuff. So we got a pretty good class in that year starting in 1978. We and we came in second in the conference cross country. We probably should have won it, to be honest with you. But um, we ended up second, so we knew that we could, you know, build on that and have a pretty good team from that point. Twenty ten, you win the Division Three National Championship in cross mm-hmm. country. I think first and to still to this point only team championship at at Haverford, right? National championship. What was that? What is that like to stand on the top of the mountain like that? Yeah, it was great. You know, just because. Again, the year before, we were eighth at, at nationals with without a particularly great performance because it wasn't like we had someone in the top ten or top twenty. I think our first finisher that day was around seventy eighth in in the national meet, but they were all bunched together in between like seventy eighth and one hundred. And I figured, geez, if these guys can all just improve, maybe mm-hmm. twenty to thirty seconds each, which is feasible in a lot of cases, and um, you know. We were able to do it. We just hit it right on, on that day. And it really came together t- towards the end of that season. Uh, the kid that uh, won the ra- actually won the national race for us wasn't even our first guy for the first two-thirds of the season. Like, he lost to three of his teammates. And then he goes to the, the conference meet, the regional meet, and the national meet and loses to nobody and you know, won the whole thing. So it was just like sort of a magic type thing where they really came together. But it was great leadership 
among that senior class that year. And, you know, I'm a real believer that they're the people that have to do it. Like we have all these seminars and books and shows about leadership, 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 but it really has to come from the kids. You know, like I don't think it comes from the top. You know, it has to come from the kids. You know, they have to, to sort of be the movement that, that does it. And then, you know, if you have someone on the top that can kind of consolidate that, you know, that obviously helps, I think. But um, but we we just had a great class that year. Do you remember the moment when you're doing the math in your head with the points and you realize, oh, my goodness, we're going to win a national championship? Not really, because at that particular meet, it was out in Iowa, uh, I was standing at four mile point, okay. which was nowhere near the finish line. And the field of runners came by and this guy, Anders Holberg, um, who won the race was in 10th, but he was very close. It was a pack of about 10 or 11. And I figured, wow, you know, maybe if Anders can just hold on, he could come in the top 10. And that's the only thing I kind of calculated. And I knew the other guys were running well, but I don't know if it was well enough for us to win. I don't even think I was thinking that way. So I finally got down to the finish line, but they had already, guys had already come in mm. across the finish line. And I saw Anders and I said, how did you do? And I figured, like, I just hope this kid came in 10th. He's here. I won. <laughs> like he couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the other kids did, did just as well. Like, um, yeah, they, they just outperformed what they had ever done before. So it was really cool. When did you realize we, we won it? Well, they have, you know, now, like, Did they announce it, like, and that's, they uh, have it, like, scoreboard pops up and everything like that, and, um, I think the kids on our team that were sort of roughly calculating, cal- calculating, uh, the score, uh, said, yeah, I think we won this thing, so it was really, you know, it was great. What was that, after you win it, what's that week like, <clears throat> kind of? taking in the, the celebratory emails and calls and stuff yeah, like it was that. Was it crazy? Emails. Yeah. Cause I, you know, we got home about three in the afternoon the next day and I didn't leave my office till about two or three in the morning. Cause there's all these emails and stuff like that, which I didn't even know email was invented. I had this story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you knew this. We had this um, thing a couple of weeks ago at Haverford where all these kids came back. They're not kids now. They're in their sixties. Some of them, but, um, I told the story about when my younger son, Edward, was about five years old. I had this computer in my office that had just sat there for about two or three years, and I never used it, you know, and it would, every once in a while it would make a sound. It would beep or flash or something like that. So finally, like, I don't think Edward had started kindergarten, or maybe he did, and he he would sit at the desk and just, you know, work on something. And so I said, hey, Edward, do you know how to work this thing? You know, I said, I, yeah. I said, did you ever hear of email? Because everyone's talking about email and stuff. So um, he said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So he gets on the computer and he gets the emails. And I have thousands of emails <laughs> you know, from, from all these recruits that I never – because I figured they're sending me letters or they're calling me like they always did. And um, so anyway, when I got back from Nationals in 2010, I had all these emails. And, you know, he responded to all of them. But as soon as I get a thing, I, I had to – get right back like i can't defer it or right or put it off so so i was there pretty late that night and then you know the next couple of days after that but it was great you had a young runner who was the first division three sub four minute mile correct? right carl piranha 1997 
And is it still? I mean, I the last article I read was like 2016. It was still the only sub four minute. Yeah, out, outdoors it was. I think it still is outdoors. Indoors, there's um, one kid, Jeremy Hernandez from Ramapo, um, two years ago ran ran under four. I'm not sure if there was anyone else under four. Um, we we actually had an, another kid who didn't break four. He, he ran the metric equivalent. Like outdoors, you run 1500 meters usually. Okay. And, um, like a, roughly like a 342, 1500 is like a 359 mile, like 342 mm-hmm. flat. And that's exactly what he ran 342.01 when, when he was a senior. So that way he broke forward. But then the year after that, or two years after that out of college, and he was still working out with us at Haverford, um, he ran a 355 mile, you know, which is really good. So, so we've had two guys, you know, with sub four. What, what is it like to shepherd people that do stuff like that uh, it's really good because again it's like an inspiration to their teammates because they figure wow you know if this kid this kid started with good but not great high school times and you know he got, got all the way down here then you know if he can do that i can at least get from where i am down to a, a pretty good level or I, I can make nationals or i can make all american so it, it helps that way um 2014 U.S. Track and Field Cross Country Coaches Association puts you in their Hall of Fame. What did that? What was that like? And what did that mean to you? Um, well, he, he had to go there and make a speech, which I hate. <laughs> and I figured this is great because I'll never have to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was to me that was the highlight. You know, like getting past that. But obviously, it's, it's a great honor. And honestly, I, I don't know how you know how you qualify for that. Sometimes I think. You know, they take like a token Division Three person and, and put them in there, um, and there might be something to that. But, um, but it really is an honor. But you know, part of it's longe- longevity too. They figure if you're still standing up after after forty years, and you know, like give this guy, you know, throw him a bone, and you know, keep him happy for another few years. But, what is what is your favorite part of what you do? Just the kids interacting with the kids, you know, um, and and just seeing them being really happy with achieving something outside of the academic thing, because the kids that we get are very highly academic and they're also perfectionists to some degree, which really can work against them, you know, because it puts pressure on themselves and stuff like that. And, and this is a thing like totally different from the academics, but where there is pressure too, there's pressure to perform for yourself, for your teammates and and that kind of thing. But it's in, a healthy environment and i like doing it because it can present to them like okay you know you obviously want to achieve because you're putting all this effort and all, all this time and all this work in here but it's not a failure if you don't run your best time or if you don't beat all the guys that you think you should beat or anything like that that's just part of the process you know part of the, the learning thing and um it's not going to keep you from getting into harvard med school or anything like that so it's a good thing. I think it's just a real good learning process for these, these people, um, you know, for the kids on the team. So I like doing that because I feel that I can help in some way for them to just grow. Yeah. yeah. And when you taught, you taught history, correct? Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting. Do you feel like there's a correlation because history is just kind of this long track of life in a yeah. way. And it, when you look at it, you know, kind of running, looking back i feel 
I saw that and I can't quite explain it, but I felt like that it kind of fits. Oh, de- definitely. You know, like, I mean, just me with my own history as a coach, you're, you know, I'm constantly reaching back and pulling out examples of, you know, well, this kid in 1978 was at the level that you're at now. And, you know, he went through some hard times, but he got to this point and, you know, went on and, and, but usually the lessons don't have anything to do with running. It's more like life lessons, you know, like just getting through or, you know, getting through a bad period that kids on the team might have. And then as a result, if they get through that, they run better too, you know, but the main point is just, you know, getting your life on track and everything like that. But, but again, you know, like with what you were mentioning, like I'm constantly reaching back to those examples or reaching back to, um, Back more in the 1980s, a little bit in the 1990s, I, I coached some guys outside of Haverford who were like world-class runners. Like, you know, Marcus, who's the coach of Villanova. Right. Like great, great coach, great guy. Um, and, you know, we, we give examples from those guys. Well, you know, if this guy did this and he got to this point, you're doing stuff, you know, to some degree close to what what he was doing so you can get to a point where maybe you could be the best Division three runner in the 1500 meters or the 5,000 meters. So I guess in a sense, it's it's like a history thing. Yeah. I just feel like there has to be an intellectual and emotional patience to be a distance runner. And I feel like you kind of have to have those same qualities to appreciate and study history as well. Like it's kind of the same circuit board. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, 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 I agree. Okay. So Tom Donnelly, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, man.